Welcome to the Good Life Podcast, 30 Minutes With. I'm your host, Tim Cadney. Today, we're digging into what it takes to be a consistent leader. My guest is Operations Divisional Manager, Alice Lashansky. We're going to find out how consistency has helped her as a leader, how she holds her team accountable to the same standards, and her journey with learning ASL. Welcome to the show, Alice. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm doing good. It's ready for the weekend. Yes. So... I'm really excited to have you as a guest on the show. I know today we're going to talk a lot about consistency and what that means to us as leaders. But first, we need to start with who. We need to get to know you. So tell us a little bit about your good life story. Absolutely. Um, I guess I'll kind of start off with the why The why I started with, with good life. Um, I guess when I was young, I was, I was very shy. I would never have thought that I would have worked at a gym. If someone told me that when I was young, I would never have believed them. Um, I was pretty unhealthy. I was overweight, didn't eat well, wasn't physically active. Um, so I was never really as fitness obsessed, I guess, as I am now. And one day, um, I grew up in Wasaga Beach. So one day I just decided to go to the Good Life Fitness in the Wasaga Beach Superstore. And it's funny because the first question on the fitness planner is always like, why today? And I cannot tell you why that day, but something clicked and I went to the gym and that's when I started becoming fitness obsessed and I started seeing results. And then I went to the University of Guelph. So I started going to the two locations now um, in Guelph, Aramosa and Pergola. And I continued on my fitness journey. I lost, you know, 60 to 70 pounds and I loved group fitness and boot camps. And I think most of all, it was the community. Like I fell in love with the Good Life community. And I think that's what pushed me every day to continue my fitness journey. So that's kind of why I applied at Good Life. And then from there, I became the general manager at Georgetown women's. So I was an external GM and we together with Jen Ware and Tracy Matthews and my team, which I can't say more amazing things about, uh, we got top club of excellence. So that's probably one of the happiest days I've ever had. And um, here I am. I became a divisional manager in 2020. That's great. I, I didn't know you started as an external. So that is a really interesting fact to know you. And, and thank you for sharing sort of that reason you walked into one of our clubs. I know this is exactly what all our members go through, even associates, that that feeling, that reason we want to go into a good life club and get started, right? Starts with the goals or how we're feeling about us or ourselves. Uh, I want to talk to you a bit about consistency in leadership. So, you know, I have this great quote here from Dwayne Johnson, and he says, success isn't always about greatness. It's about consistency. Consistent hard work leads to success. Greatness will come. So for you, what are those components to be a consistent leader? That's a great quote, Tim. I like that one. I think um, for me, consistency is a lot like working out Mm -hmm. or like learning a new language it's that essential piece of the puzzle that gets you to the results and the goals that you're looking for. And like my job is to support and empower each of my associates to reach their personal potential. And whether it was a GM or now a DM, that's my job is to support them. And I think the most important ingredient to that is building a solid connection and relationship with each of the individuals. And I think how that ties into consistency is, always being present and listening. And I think sometimes 
leaders forget, like I sometimes forget that we're on this like, kind of like a stage. I wouldn't say that it's like a microscope, but people pay attention to what we say, how we, how we react and what we, um, how, what our responses are like. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we can get, you know, easily distracted, um, you know, check our phones really quickly or an email notification goes off, whether it's in person or in zoom. Um, and it might seem like nothing to us as the leader, but it can mean so much to our associates and it can show that we might not care, which obviously is not our intention. It's not true, but our teams notice things like that. So I just think that consistency of creating a relationship by being present and listening is that that really important foundation of success with that person that you're working with. And especially right now, I, I can't even tell you like how grateful I am for the people that I work with and the relationships that we've built. And I think with, you know, what you're, you were talking about too, is just that hard work, right? And that consistently of those consistency of those actions. So I think I am very consistent with my reactions and my actions. And I think with that, it leads to predictability. And that results in trust. And I think if you could probably ask, I hope anyone on my team, I, I think that they would be able to forecast pretty well what my response would be like in most situations. And I find that so important because it makes me approachable and we can have really honest and real conversations so I can do my job and support them. But if they think I'm unpredictable, and, you know, because of my lack of consistency, potentially, then it would lead to kind of like phony or fake conversations. So I think it allows me to fulfill my purpose in my role um, by being predictable. And then also it allows me to be honest with them in a safe environment. I really like that, you know, because I, I think, you know, fear would exist in a team if they don't know how you're going to react to any piece of news, right? Like, how do we react to crisis? How do we react to the chaos that might exist in the workplace? Knowing that they can come to you with anything and you're going to give them the same type of reaction. You're going to be very level-headed. You're going to have a good conversation with them to understand what's going on, to know better how to help them. So you talked a bit about building relationships and, you know, in your good life story, you said you were an external hire. And I think it's very relevant right now because a lot of people are probably switching companies, switching jobs because of what's been open, what's been closed. So what was those key elements for you to building relationships with a team that you had no knowledge of when you first started at Georgetown Women's? I just think it's facing the reality that people might know more than you and that's okay. They might know more about the good life ways or how to sell something or excerpt, but just be confident in who you are and just be yourself. So don't try to, you know, make it, you know, fake it till you make it type of thing, but just be you and just get to know your associates on a human to human level. Tell them what your intention is, you know, ask them for feedback and it's okay to ask them questions. It doesn't make you less of a competent leader because you're not aware of, you know, our good life way yet. So just being honest and creating that relationship and asking questions, I think is the most important part. I like that because yeah, it's not the foundation to strong leadership. Like we know you're going to come in here and not know the systems. It's interesting. You know, some of the times when I'm in an interview and I'll ask 
um, the candidate, you know, like, like what are those opportunities for you as a leader? And if they mention something system based, I kind of go, well, that that's expected. Like, I, I don't expect you to know a KPI, what that is yet, or, you know, excerpt or, you know, dynamics, all these systems that we use internally with good life. But, you know, you come in there with a strong skill set and we will teach you the way. And, and I think it's really good advice to be humble and not expect to know everything or try to pretend like you know everything and allow somebody to teach you something. Absolutely. Let's talk about your role as a divisional manager. So I know, you know, there's the same people majority of the time day to day in a club and you're there in person, whereas a divisional manager, you're leading multiple clubs, you're leading remotely. So what are some of the things that you do consistently as a divisional manager that might not be the same as when you were a general manager? I think it's understanding that you're not impacting the associates directly. So the job changes from impacting the associates indirectly through another leader. So how do you really empower a general manager to do that in their own way? So not mirror who I am as a leader, but really embrace their differences and their version of who they are, but implement the same competencies that I find important. So I think, you know, for example, looking at my leaders, they're all very different. So it's not, it's not how I'm going to impact the associates, but it's how do I really bring out their own personal traits. And I think that's definitely been a difference for me. And it's, Obviously, I love doing it. I love, you know, helping leaders reach their potential, but it has been an adjustment because I can't just do it myself, right? day in and day out inside their clubs? I think it's the similar competencies that I expect for myself. So building those relationships, being predictable, leading by example. But I just really want to make sure that they know that I encourage the diversity of thought and I want to embrace those differences with each leader. So I can give you kind of structurally what I want, but I think it's going to look different for everyone. And I don't want everyone to kind of be like-minded, right? And I want them to, you know, be who they are, but still be caring, still make sure that they're being consistent with their individual meetings. And I think it's really shown by their culture, you know, even doing it remotely right now and having one-on-one meetings with associates or shadowing, um, you can really tell a lot about a leader's consistency um, during those shadowing opportunities. That's great. And so you, you mentioned the word culture and, and it's something that we, we talk a lot about at Good Life. You know, what is that culture of a club? Like what but really it comes down to like, what is that thing you feel the moment you walk in the club? So what are some of the feelings that you get when you walk into the clubs that you manage? You know, what, what are those things that you're looking for when you walk in? I think you kind of nailed it there. It's the feeling. Um, I think you can tell when there is an act potentially and then that it's or if it's natural. And I think it even starts from when you call the club. How do the associates make you feel? Are they scared? Are they excited? Are they happy to be there? And I think we use, you know, 
the word peak attitude a lot, but it's just whatever peak attitude looks for that individual. And I just want to see associates and members happy, happy to be there, happy to be encouraging one another, welcoming, non-judgmental. And I think that's that feeling when you come into the club and that feeling that I had as a member when I wasn't part of the Good Life Fitness family is what I want our members and associates to feel. So that's kind of what I look for is the energy overall. It's interesting taking that experience you had as a member walking into the club the first time and being able to say, like, this is what I want every single time uh, a member walks into any of my clubs, no matter where it is. And and it's, you know, it's hard with a company as big as ours. You know, we're, you know, over 400 clubs across the country and, you know, to have everybody walk in with that same kind of experience. But it should be that same feeling of sorts, that feeling of being welcome, feeling of there's no judgment. We're here to help you. You mentioned winning top club of excellence. So top club in the company in 2019, you can't say enough good things about your team. So what were those elements that led to the success that year for you? I think, um, I think looking at top club of excellence, people work for people at the end of the day. So, you know, we talked about consistency earlier on and that really like the importance of that foundation of a relationship with your associates and once I had those relationships and I was predictable and an approachable leader, that's when I could actually hold my associates, I would say like respectfully accountable to their goals. And I say respectfully because I think at Good Life, we always learn about, you know, the importance of giving timely feedback, you know, having individual meetings, all those things are so crucial to our success. But I really think what made a true impact is because it was coupled with that trust and connection on that human to human level. And I think that was a big reason why we were able to achieve the top club of excellence. Um, obviously, also having our support with the women's um, boutique region, but it was just it was just getting below the surface and and having that relationship and that mutual respect that really got us to the results and that we that we had so i'm very proud of my team well, very well deserved so yeah i think consistency comes down to being able to close the loop like we put something in place or we set an expectation we want to make sure that that expectation is being met um same thing with understanding what the goals are of the individuals on our team so for you you know, what are the sort of best practices or tips that you have around setting good action items with your team? You talked about coming at it in a very respectful way and then your ability to be able to close the loop so they know every time you do something or say something, it's going to be met. Stating your intention where you're coming from. I think that's the most important thing is sometimes we just may find ourselves telling someone what to do or just saying, you know, this is just the expectations and this is what you just have to do. And in some things, I don't know, maybe that's okay. Maybe a name tag or a uniform, but I can probably tell you the intention, the why behind that, of course, as well. But I think every time we have that conversation, it's just my intention is to help you be the best version of yourself in your role and because I care. So these are the things that we need to do. And then it falls back on me to make sure that they understand that it's important to me. And when something's important to me, I'm going to follow up. And that's how we start building that consistency in their actions. And it comes to a point when you don't have to remind anymore, but you still always follow up because you want to make sure that they know that you care. And that's how, that's how I would do it. 
Yeah, I agree. It's and it's true. It's a very fine line because, you know, just that that sense of following up is showing that it's important to you that this gets done and it, it, it meets the deadline as opposed to where I think, you know, a lot of managers might shy away from it because they fear that micromanager. And, you know, like I'm just constantly on top of them or, you know, bugging them or picking at them. And it's like, no, it's not. It's it's if you set something they have a deadline to meet. You got to make sure that they meet it. Or if they set a goal with you, they trust you to share that goal. How are you helping them achieve that goal? And I think, you know, you, you talk so much about trust and relationships and those things get strained the moment that we don't help them achieve a goal. If they've had a goal setting meeting with us and then we just shy away from it or we forget it and let it slip, then those are the things that I think are going to be affected the most. Yeah. And I think it's also kind of ties into like sympathy versus empathy, mm-hmm. right? Like when it comes to following up, for example, on a deadline, it's like, oh, I don't, I feel bad because I know there's a lot on their plate, for example, and you become sympathetic, right? That's kind of where that radical candor comes in as well. But empathy is I'm doing this because I care. And it might be hard for me because I might feel bad for their feelings, for example, if they're going through something, but I need to follow through. I completely agree. So let's talk a little bit about um, a fun fact about you. So you shared with me that you're learning ASL. And so, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, where this came from. So why you decided to learn ASL and, you know, how it sort of changed you learning a new form of communication. It's actually pretty funny. Um, and it's very random, even for me. But I think when I look back at it, um, people that know me pretty well would say that I speak with my hands um, quite a bit, but also that my facial expressions can definitely tell you a story. And ASL actually ends up being 30% hand signs and 70% facial expressions. So in in retrospect, it's actually a pretty great fit. Um, But pretty much, I just started researching it and learning about the the deaf community and deaf culture. And probably within 24 hours after that, because I was so excited to learn about it, I signed up for a 10 month course through Durham College. So I'm going into my third month, I probably spend close to 10 hours a week on it. Um, But it's helped me have a mindset switch from good life to something that I'm passionate about as well. And it also allows me to educate my team and be a more inclusive leader. So it's been like, you. there's a lot of aspects to it that I would never have thought of when it comes to the deaf, deaf culture and community. Um, and I find the language to be very beautiful. So I'm really, really enjoying it. So working with ASL, how's it helped you in terms of communicating with your team? I think when it comes to, I can also touch on a little bit of, you know, our topic of diversity, equity, inclusion, I think like being more culturally competent and talking about a culture and learning about it, that's, that was just so out of my element. Um, I think it's helped me to talk about my experiences about learning about a different culture that I'm not part of. And I think with that, it also just makes me a better leader overall because of how passionate I am about something that's maybe outside of good life as well that I can bring into my conversations. And, you know, I mean, you talked a little bit about the the 70% being facial expressions. This is something I wasn't aware of until I really was in the lockdown where watching a lot of news and the broadcast and you would see the interpreter down in the corner and realize like after doing a bit of research, understanding that there is so much involved in the, the facial expressions. It's just not just the hand um, 
hand signs that you're making. So talk a little bit about what you've learned in terms of like how those facial expressions apply to ASL. Oh, it's incredible. But you're actually not supposed to stare at someone's hands when you're speaking with them. Mm. So you're only supposed to look in their eyes. And it's kind of rude to stare at hands, which I find myself doing all of the time in class. Um, but you're supposed to look into their eyes and pretty much there can be like if you're maybe being sarcastic or, you know, you're being angry, it tells you that your facial expressions tell you the tone of your voice in a way. And there's very similar signs and um, deaf people, they deaf individuals, they sign very quickly. So you can get you can get it confused with a bunch of different signs. But if you're looking at their facial expressions, it tells you the story a lot easier. So it's it's hard because you're learning sign language, but your facial expressions really wrap everything together. Wow. I, I did not yeah. know that. That's incredible. Thank you. <laughs> One of the last things we want to touch on with you is advice for a new associate of Good Life. We have a lot of new associates starting with us. So what would be your top advice for them? Well, first of all, welcome. I think right now is a very interesting time and you probably started because of your passion for fitness and your passion to change lives. And it's a hard time right now in our society and our, our roles kind of fluctuate with that, with cleaning and certain things, but just always, always be yourself and remember why you started and try to have really quality conversations with your associates and your members and enjoy what you're doing and remember on how important your role is and it's okay not to know everything just just be you and ask questions and you'll learn along the way um, but the most important thing is just creating those relationships with the people around you and remembering why why you started here and you're making an impact so thank you that's all i wanted to say well i think that is great advice and it's a perfect summary to what you shared today how important it is to be consistent not only with the way we react but how we build our relationships and and i also really like that it's okay to not know everything you will learn so alice thank you so much for being here and sharing what you shared and thank you for also teaching us today about asl thank you tim it's always a pleasure thank you for having me well that's our show for today Thank you again to our guest, Alice Lashansky. The Good Life Podcast 30 Minutes With is produced by Rochelle Lowry, and our intro-outro song is by Ketza. Please visit Ketza's website, ketzamusic.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.